Good afternoon. It's time for Boat Talk on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill and WERU.org. I'm Alan Sprague. Mike Joyce will be joining shortly. This show is a rerun of an old show from nearly 20 years ago. So phone calls can't be taken at this time. This is a show about dreams and reality. Boat Talk here on Community Radio. It's a call-in show of uh, people contemplating anything naval, along with uh, Mike Joyce over there and Alan Sprague. We're uh, two old sailors who are not really the quickest around, but neither are we the slowest. In fact, many people say we're half-fast. That's uh, that's Mike, the handsome one over there. I'm Alan, the suave one. We're going to be answering all kinds of good phone calls today, the I'm sure. The punny one, ain't you? <laughs> now, I'm disillusioned here. This is radio, and we're going to let people look at it for a minute. You wrote that one down. I've never I, seen you write one down before. Oh, yeah, I do once in a while, yeah. Depends on how, how confused I feel in the morning. If I need all the help I can get, I Good do. point. Why didn't I make notes? <laughs> we are uh, going to be discussing uh, probably one major topic today, I think let's uh, give a little history of a uh, raw faith that's been in the, in the news quite a bit lately. Um, we probably will be uh, talking mostly about raw faith today. Raw faith is a subject of interest around uh, boat talk here. And you know what I'm thinking right now, Alan? I'm thinking I just gave George the wrong number. I'm thinking I gave him the wrong number for uh, to call in here. So um, somebody's going to have to come in. I'm going to have to give him a note, and we'll figure we'll 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 figure that out. So anyway. Uh, Raw Faith is a self-described uh, handmade uh, galleon that was uh, made by the McKay family down to uh, uh, Addison. And uh, it was built over a, a period of like uh, at least four and a half years. Um, and you, uh, you and I went down and did an interview with them two years ago, November of 2002. And by then they were quite well along. The hull was just finishing up the... The third of uh, three layers of, of short pieces of oak, in my opinion, put on uh, um, more or less diagonally planked over some uh, laminated wood ribs. We did, and we got, uh, hopefully we're all clear now. But anyway, uh, a little confusion here to start off, boat talk. We, uh, I saw a thing on television of a, it was Bill Green, uh, made in Maine, or, uh, Bill Green's main segment on, on uh, uh, NBC local television here. And they had a story about these people building the boat, and they were hanging plank with a nail gun. Yeah. And I sat right up and went, whoa, you don't hang plank with a nail gun? And uh, we got to check this out. So, yes, we did go down there, and we looked it over. And as boat builders, our impression was that it was uh, an unusual approach to boat building. It was a, uh, uh, a bit on the funky side in a lot of ways. But here's the punchline. It turned out to be a fairly solid uh, a hull. And the evidence for that is last year it sat in Mosbeck Reach down to Jonesport and for more than a month couldn't get out to it because of ice. Not only ice on the shore prevents you from getting in your dinghy and going out there, but the boat on its mooring had a necklace of ice around it about four feet thick and, uh, you know, several feet out from the boat and just really difficult to board it. And in all that time, the boat hardly leaked at all. Mm -hmm. um, now, the boat did leak on its maiden voyage when it was uh, tested Harder, but anyway, um, yeah, we'll be talking about boat talk today, and it's raised some controversy. They uh, tried to go south uh, uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. They didn't get very far, and uh, they got into a bit of a blow, and things broke, and they ended up uh, towed back to Rockland by the Coast Guard. A lot of people 
are uh, frankly kind of upset about this and uh, think that, uh, that uh, let's see, how should we put this? Uh, raw faith is uh, not, not a, uh, it is uh, thought that raw faith is, it's being alleged on the waterfront that raw faith is not seaworthy, that raw faith is uh, uh, not able to sail in a windward direction, and that I guess George uh, really did not pick the right time to go, which uh, I would agree with right there. It was definitely too late to go. So anyway, George is going to be calling in, and, and we'll speak with him this morning, and uh, we'll talk about all this stuff. And George would like to speak with listeners, too, so we're going to keep him on the phone. In a few minutes, he'll be calling in. And that will probably occupy a good part of Boat Talk this morning. I was thinking last night about, about this show that we're going to be doing and thinking, uh, now, are we just reporters? Do we need to be, remain re, uh, neutral in this, or are we more or less commentators? And I, I decided to vote for the commentator position. Me too. Yeah. I'm not neutral at all. No. I, I agree with everybody. <laughs> How would you like to try to put that across? Yeah, right. That's a... The true political answer right there. Well, I do, and it's the truth, and that's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes, uh, Raw Faith. In the meantime, there's a couple other things that uh, just need mentioning, if, if uh, nothing else, because Boat Talk is a, sort of a magazine, naval magazine show. And so we need to throw this stuff in. I noticed on the uh, news this morning there was an uh, explosion on a boat in Rockland Harbor yesterday. And apparently a couple fellows are fitting out a boat to go urchin diving, which is very, very much on the wane right now. The uh, number of people in the urchin fishery definitely peaked a few years ago. There was quite a gold rush there, and, and now there's hardly any urchins left. Mm-hmm. And uh, people differ on the concentrations of urchin and what they should do about the fishery, but not many people are, are in that fishery anymore compared to uh, the last few years. Some fellows fitting out their boat in Rockland, uh, the boat exploded, and they got blown overboard into the water where they were fished out, and at least one of them is, uh, uh, you know, burned, I believe, and uh, most likely was an explosion resulting from a uh, propane uh, space heater mm-hmm. issue on the boat is what was thought. That's generally how they heat. They have to heat the insides of those boats. While the boys are working, they're going swimming. They get it back aboard. They need a warm spot. Yeah, that's for sure. They do. Uh, it's typical yeah. to have uh, homemade, uh, home home. Uh, 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 put, uh, what do you call them? The uh, ceramic uh, oh, propane oh, heaters. heaters yeah. yeah, you'll see them uh, bolted right onto the winter back of, a, of an urchin boat all the time, mm-hmm. often with the propane bottles in a milk crate outside lashed to the rail with bungee cord. Right. Uh, well, pretty j- typical rig. Yeah. Just because they, um, just because they're they're real like real real. Um, careful about putting the propane bottle out, so it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be having propane. You've got to have a leak on the other end of the hose, too. So. Yeah. So there. anyway, that, that just happened today, and that's unfortunate, but it's a tricky business. And uh, we also noticed from the Bangor Daily News, the boat building school is going back in business, and after a year's hiatus, they are accepting applications for the fall of 2005, and they've redone the curriculum. They've, uh, they've actually done uh, renovations to the school itself. They've got some new equipment, and... Uh, they are going onward, which is good news because we talked about that with some distress here. Uh, I guess it was last spring, the boat building school uh, kind of running out of students, uh, the one down in Eastport, of course, of course, we're talking about. And as part of this, they published some statistics here. They say that there are uh, about 5,000 people boat building in the state of Maine. About 1,500 are, are in Washington County where industry is a wonderful, <laughs> precious thing. 
There are about 250 boat building companies in the state of Maine, most of them uh, almost all locally owned and controlled. And, of course, then there are support businesses past that, and they claim about $612 million uh, goes around in the boat industry every year, which is not inconsiderate. And, again, local control, local expertise ain't going anywhere. Six hundred and twelve. That's a pretty specific number that they've come down to, too. So they must have it's done. It's not six. It's twelve. Six twelve. Six hundred and twelve. Six hundred and twelve million. It's yes. uh, not like six hundred or six fifty, but six six hundred and twelve million dollars is. That's so they've done some pretty thorough research. To yeah, that's what this. they. That's what they say. That's. Got another thing here uh, from the Working Waterfront, the uh, publication of the Island Institute. Uh, Bucket and chuck it no longer. Casco Bay could become a no-discharge zone. They're proposing that Casco Bay be a, uh, a, a zone where there's absolutely no marine discharges, which the law says that you can't discharge within three miles from shore anyway, but nobody talks about it and everybody does it. Yeah. Um, that's just the facts. And how are they going to de- uh, <clears throat> determine this? <laughs> Heck of a good question, and I don't know we've got uh, time to get into that uh, uh, too deep yeah, well, today, and I no. haven't marked up the, uh, I don't have the relevant passage there. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot, but uh, <laughs> interesting concept. For instance, deep, yes. the Bordeaux Lakes down in, in uh, Cape Breton, which are an inland, brackish uh, body of water, salty, but the flush, the flush rate of the Bordeaux Lakes is said to be a couple of years. They are death on people pumping overboard there. They've got oysters. They've got, uh, you yeah, know, the stuff zebra, they don't want muscles. messed up. Yes. And uh, they are just death on, on uh, yachts pumping overboard there. And uh, that's coming to the coast of Maine. A uh, good thing uh, probably is, except for when you store waste on your boat, it tends to smell, and that's one reason why people don't do it. So, Well, there's the other issue, of too, of how, how picky are we going to get with worrying about small little holding tanks when we got these container ships coming in or possibly even now... LNG coming in, you know, I'm sure they don't hold their, are they going to be holding their bilges all the way out and all the way in again? You They're know, supposed I, to. Yeah. They're supposed to. That's a, that's a major amount there, those guys. Plus, what happens if they, one of them falls over, those container ships? I've, I've know people in the Coast Guard who won't be named who say uh, it's not a matter of uh, if something is going to happen, but when. Oh, I, as, I can agree. It's a yeah. maritime environment, of course. Anything can happen. Uh, one last thing to mention is a great boat book. I just started it last night, and uh, we hope to have this fellow on sometime. I certainly do. And uh, Bill Bunting is uh, from Whitefield, Maine, and he has written a number of books. The newest one's called Sea Struck, and it's out by Tilbury House Publishing out of uh, Gardner. It is the story of several sort of upper-class uh, young men at the end of the 1800s who felt like they had to go off on uh, major seagoing square rig voyages. Um, and and before uh, one of them before the mast, two in the in the cabin as passengers, and uh, just a wonderful Bill Bunting has knowledge and expertise that that predates his existence. He's a bulldozer operator and a farmer, and <laughs> and uh, he has gone square rigger sailing when he was younger, and he's put out a couple other books, uh, uh, especially a day's work. There's two volumes of that. They're historic photographs of uh, people doing. Uh, work-related stuff uh, related to Maine, and that would be anywhere on the globe because you'll have a guy running around Cape Corn uh, in his ship, you know, uh, for instance, a day's work. And the, he'll have the photograph on one page, and the caption takes up the whole other page, and the captions are just precious. They'll examine what's going on in the photograph. They'll pick out stuff you never would uh, have uh, figured out and expand in all kinds of different directions <laughs> with wit and style and grace. Mm. Bill Bunting uh, has done it again in this book, Seastruck. And uh, it's a term that 
is uh, like our uh, the lead character here who, uh, you know, he went to Harvard. He's got a mining engineer degree, and uh, he doesn't want to settle down. He doesn't want to go work in an office. He craves adventure. It's Teddy mm-hmm. Roosevelt time. And uh, he doesn't think that he's going to be fit for anything unless he at least tries a voyage. Right. And you've got to let me, Mom and Dad. I don't care what you think about me being in the in the folks with all those rough people. I'm going. So that's that. Well, that's cool. Take off on awestruck, I think, it with the title there. Sea struck, yeah. Bill Bunting, and and I hope very, very much to uh, have Bill. Uh, we'd love to interview Bill. Sometimes I'm a big fan of his book. He's got another one, photographs of uh, Mon Hegan, and and uh, another one about bot the Port of Boston, and uh, wonderful You're right. stuff. I, uh, last. December, we did a little uh, pre-Christmas, pre-holiday uh, book review thing, and I forgot about doing that today. But that's that's a, that excellent recommendation right there. Yep, Sea Struck, uh, unreservedly recommended. It's a uh, it's, and there's a couple of books in there now. I have spent this morning just reading footnotes at the end of the chapters. Their whole whole books. That's a whole book by itself. Oh, really? Written by yeah, Bill again, again, and mm. uh, just. Style and wit is just a wonderful thing. Hmm. He's got it, and the and the knowledge. So anyway, those are the uh, laundry list items that we had here this morning, mostly. All right. Well, want to go back to raw faith then? I, I guess we are. We didn't explain probably the mission, the original inspiration for people who are just tuning in now um, into this story. Um, Mr. McKay has a handicapped daughter and quit his day job, sold his house, and made a major life change to come and make a, a boat that would be um, what he calls handicapped accessible, a boat that would be safe enough to put uh, handicapped children and take them out on a, a little day sea adventure. And their families. And their very families. Family-oriented, very right, important. Very, yes. And uh, my opinion after looking at this boat and going through it over the last couple of years is that it's a wonderful idea, but the way this boat is constructed and what it seems to be showing so far is that I don't think it is uh, safe enough for for children to be going on and their families. Um, the fact that it won't even sail 90 degrees to the wind means you can only sail downwind. He has no power, and uh, uh, what he showed to... Thanksgiving time, I, I'm a little skeptical of this boat, although I'd certainly like to see the mission go through, but just not with this with this boat. You and I uh, have a slightly divergent opinions there. Um, I think that while it is a little unusual, I was actually impressed by the solidity of the hull um, and the fact that, that it weathered last winter, uh, especially, and it doesn't leak that bad, although uh, that was just sitting still with no rig in it, and that needs to be pointed out. Um, I think that the hull uh, is a is a good big solid thing, and it's a boat, and it's going to be a boat. And and uh, now, what do you want to do? So that's my question. Where do we go from here? Uh, I don't believe too much in recriminations, and and uh, see, I told you so's. And a lot of the reason why I can agree with George and agree with other people is I've been in a lot of the things that happened. Uh, I've I've been there, done that and have these experiences and um, um, so I can kind of come down on both sides of the thing. Um, I have been towed in by the Coast Guard. I have had a fight with a, a, a boat on davits that the uh, ours was swamped by fallen seas. His, the davit sling left, let go and uh, they lost their push boat. Um, have had uh, uh, rig problems, had uh, the outhaul go and then the mizzen, uh, I'm sorry, had the uh, 
had the Miz and Out Hall go on a on a uh, Hinkley 49 catch, then had all the Hanks go on the old mainsail. So no Miz and no mainsail. We're down to a jib, and then the bilge is full of transmission oil, so mm. we ain't running the engine either. And we ended up getting towed into Jacksonville, Florida by the Cutter Pawpaw. That was uh, the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, went on another trip from here down to the Caribbean where we left the day after Thanksgiving. And I'm telling you, that was a mistake. And the reason I did that was at the time I was building a shop for the people I was working for, and I was put the roof on the thing before I left. And my intention was to be gone for, uh, you know, uh, two weeks to a month and then come back and go back to work. So it was important to me to put the roof on the thing. That's what we did. I did not have any fear of crossing the Gulf of Maine at Thanksgiving in a Hinkley 50. I really didn't. And we successfully did that, although we did have pretty much the same conditions that George ran into. We had uh, winds in the, in the mid-high 20s and, and uh, 10 to 12 to 14 foot seas. And one of the fellows on board who was an urchin fisherman and quite a uh, daring urchin fisherman um, would do things that other people really didn't, uh, made him nervous, you know, and, and, uh, you know, kind of the king of the urchin divers. And he got very upset that night out in the Gulf of Maine. We're going out by Frenchboro, and he says to the rock climber dude, he says, see, these are the big waves I told you about. And I looked at the captain, goes, three-foot swell. That's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and that nah. night it was stinky out in the Gulf of Maine, and it was Thanksgiving time, and, and, uh, <laughs> He basically came and says, look, this is past the point of safety and sanity. We are going back. And I said, I no, it isn't. Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of nasty out here, but we're in no way threatened or, uh, you know, we're doing just fine. And we're not going back. It's November. We're in the Gulf of Maine. Uh, we're actually fairly lucky. Yeah. So uh, we did. Uh, we spent down in Newport a few days. And then on our way to Bermuda, we got in a storm, wound the sea anchor up into a propeller, and nothing Oops. good happened after that. Mm -hmm. So... So I know about some of these things. And another thing I will say uh, before we talk to George that's related experience there was the same fellow who thought we ought to turn around the Gulf of Maine. Um, during the storm, my sense of humor tends to kick in. And I have been in two good storms, and both times I've looked around, and you say to yourself, we're going to die tonight? No. No. No, I feel, you know, we're... Not going to wow, sleep this is free. this is freaking you out, but okay, here comes a big wave, and the boat goes up, the wave goes under... The boat goes down, here comes another one. You do that for a few hours, and you start to get fairly comfortable. It, comfortable is not the right word. Nobody's comfortable. But it's reassuring af after a fashion. Are you in danger? Of course you are. Um, I got in trouble with this fellow. He threatened to punch my damn head in if I made another joke, because we're all going to die. <laughs> and it's not funny. I don't want to die laughing. <laughs> and as the other part of the punchline here, we had a um, this uh, extremely well-equipped boat. And we had an abandoned ship bag that lived under the table in the cabin. And it had a water maker in it. It had emergency rations. Mm -hmm. Another EPIRB. We had four or five of those things around. I mean, you know, we were very well equipped. Don't tell me it was so tied in that you couldn't get it undone. No, nope, worse than that. Right. Um, the, uh, I stayed up that first night after we got wound up in the, in the sea anchor. I, I stayed up and run the boat that night. Everybody else went into the bunks. I stayed, uh, you know, up in the nav station and the uh, settee and, and every once in a while I'd go outside and, and check yeah. stuff. Spill car. Had a remote autopilot um, on a cord that I could take downstairs and we're just going down wind bare poles. Yeah. And uh, or maybe a tiny bit of jib, I forget. But anyway. They had the radar going. Yeah. So anyway, every once in a while I'd go out and look around and, uh, we did take one fallen sea that pooped us and uh, filled the cockpit and, and came. We took, I don't know, 20 gallons downstairs through a locked companionway hatch. 
Wow. Into a Hankwood boat, you know, just streaming down just the stairs three, through the locked three hatch. slits and a little bit under the hatch. They got to they got to have slop in them mm-hmm. so they'll slide, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'd I'd uh, come back and I'd sit at the nav station. I look around. I go, wasn't there another reperb here somewhere? I'd, stuff just didn't look right. And in the morning or after the storm, uh, you know, about two and a half days later, um, you examine the the abandoned ship bag and the rock climber guy had been getting out of his bunk compulsively all night and putting things in it. Another EPIRB, another handheld VHF, more cans of food, more, uh, you know. Don't tell me he activated the pre-EPIRB. No, he okay. put so much stuff in that bag that we couldn't get it out the companionway. <laughs> Good plan. It had become a little bit of relief. It was sort of comic relief at the time, and it sort of wasn't either because people weren't happy, I'm telling you. But, but anyway, that's how it goes. Been there, done that, and, uh, you know. So anyway, George, uh, I believe, is on the phone. Are you there, George? Yes, Mike. Good morning. You've been listening to any of this, all this? Well, I've, been, I've been listening, and I'm quite alarmed that Alan would make the comments he made, having never sailed on Raw Faith. You know, people that want to make that comment that we can't sail into the wind have never been on Raw Faith. The ones that have been on Raw Faith certainly didn't know how to trim the sails. We ran into that same situation when we ref- left Rock, uh, when we left Jonesport and ended up uh, in Cutler. We went to the books, reread the books, got some advice from some people. And we sail 60 degrees off the wind. So when Alan sits there and says we don't, I, I would really seriously challenge that. And, uh, and it, it, we had a lot of crew on board. It might be argued that we didn't get very far uh, in our five days out from uh, Jonesport. Yeah, it was all into suddenly wind. George, and we had, we had three days of no wind. The, la- the last time we talked, you told me that your boat would sail 70 degrees to the wind. And and that 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 was that was in I didn't I don't know that I said seventy degrees to the wind, uh, and uh, we, we sail sixty degrees off the wind is what we are able to measure, and the people that were on board were comfortable in in measuring that, and that's what we came up with. Uh, we don't have any scientific uh, instruments measuring that or anything, and we have about a depending on the current, uh, on whether we're sailing uh, against the current or not, is how much midway drift we end up with in that. We can get to all that. How about if we start at the beginning, George, and just uh, we'll start chronologically and tell the story. And, and if you'll allow me, I'll start with the fact that you got the boat down to Rockland, and you're in the harbor there, and you're still building the boat. You're still working on it. You're uh, being donated stuff, life raft, EPIRB. Uh, you're, uh, like say, uh, still putting the thing together. And you need to go south. Now, um, you... Uh, are aware that the weather gets bad uh, the longer you wait, but you've, you're trying to balance that with things to do. So the long and the short of it is that you did not leave until the uh, Saturday before Thanksgiving. So, okay, it's Saturday before Thanksgiving. You and uh, your son Robert and uh, four other guys take off. Then then what happened? Tell the story. Well, um, we uh, took off with a northerly forecast, and uh, we had some nice northerly winds for half a day. We got out by Metinicus Rock, which took us, uh, we were there before noon. Um, I'm going to say around 10 o'clock, I made a call. Uh, uh, we're still within cell phone range and said, we're out of wind. We're just sitting here adrift. You know, and we didn't have any wind. And, and there may have been a knot or two of wind. And uh, uh, so we didn't, you know, even though the forecast, and you listen to the, to the report, and it says, oh, Metinicus Rock says there's uh, 15 knots of wind. We're sitting here going by uh, uh, the island and saying, where's the wind? There ain't no wind. And uh, uh, we we drift that whole night um, with with no wind. Had we drifted anywhere near any shore or land, we'd have obviously launched the uh, push boat that we had and pulled us out. Uh, there was never any issue of that, anyways. 
Um, the crew got up the next morning and said, oh, my God, Matinicus Rock's still in sight. You know, we still didn't have any wind. And uh, the wind picked up slightly from the south. We started sailing east. And uh, um, later on, I'm going to say later on that night, the second night, um, we were far enough away when Matinicus Rock got behind us. And uh, uh, the wind dies down. So then we're adrift again all that night, uh, all the next day. You know, we got the crew busy doing stuff, but uh, we're still just kind of drifting out there, the, the wind vane not even going around. Let me interrupt you again for a minute. Uh, what needs to be done here, um, George is trying to get out around Cape Cod, and uh, there are two ways to do that. You go around Cape Cod or you go through it. There's Cape Cod Canal, but you can't go through it without an engine. So George has to go around it. Now, the Gulf of Maine, if you look at it on the, on the map, uh, looks like it's uh, you know the end of Nova Scotia and the end of Cape Cod. There's a big gap in between there, and that's the exit to the Gulf of Maine. In fact, that's not true. Um, the exit to the Gulf of Maine is actually fairly shallow if you're going to sail around, I'm sorry, fairly narrow if you're going to sail around Cape Cod. It's called the Great South Channel. And if you imagine it, um, uh, east of the tip of Cape Cod, um, underneath the tip of Cape Cod, you have Nantucket and Nantucket Shoals. You can't go there. Um, east of Cape Cod, you have George's Bank, which is a shallow plateau that sort of um, closes in um, oceanographically-wise the Gulf of Maine by its, uh, by its uh, reduced depth there, and you don't want to be over on the banks. The Great South Channel is dead south from Rockland, dead south out of Rockland, and that's where you need to go. After, uh, by Thursday, you're about two-thirds of the way there. So anyway, you're still in, uh, it's now uh, Sunday, you're, you're still in sight of Matinicus, and uh, keep going. You lose, uh, and things start to break uh, after that. Uh, nothing broke at that point. We're still no wind. And we're still just drifting. And we were, we were heading on a course that, that put us about 50 miles uh, off of Cape Cod, um, almost like almost dead south on about a uh, 190 heading. And uh, um, we weren't on that heading. We were heading east by now because we had a straight southerly uh, wind once the wind picked up. We sailed east away, then the wind died again. And when I say picked up, we're only talking four or five knots at, at best case. And... Uh, uh, Monday, I guess we floated around Sunday. It was Monday. Uh, we were adrift. Um, again, the wind may have picked up a little bit. Uh, we headed back east, uh, back west, and uh, sailed a little while, making a little more progress. Um, wind out of the south, southeast, uh, and it uh, wasn't until Tuesday um, the wind started picking up again. And we, we were aware of the forecast on Sunday that there was, they were forecasting heavy winds for Wednesday. And uh, they were forecasting the winds to be the worst in the east. And so we, were, we decided, okay, let's start heading west and see if it uh, is, is uh, tolerable more west. And so we started heading west. Um, when I went up on shift late Tuesdays when we noticed the rudder had, uh, that I noticed the rudder had broke. It wasn't the rudder itself. It was the bolt connecting the linkage uh, that had snapped. And so... We actually, uh, I called the crew together and discussed the situation, and um, we decided we can sail the ship in figure eights if we wanted to adjust the sails. And so it didn't seem to have uh, any negative uh, impact on the direction we were heading and what we were trying to do. Um, and, and so uh, nobody was worried or concerned, uh, and everybody that was on board seemed to uh, voice uh, the same opinion that, that let's go forward, let's keep going. And uh, we did. We trimmed the sails, and we were able to hold a, a, 
uh, fairly uh, close pack. Um, we, we, with the sails trimmed the way we had them, we'd pack for six hours without touching the sails, and the compass wouldn't deviate more than five degrees. And so, you know, we felt pretty comfortable that the ship was handling, uh, quite well, in fact. And, and uh, uh, when the wind started picking up Wednesday morning, um, again, we're talking over, looking at the rigging and the crew, uh, looking over all the rigging. Nothing looked like it was stressed or, or handling that bad. We're doing about three, three and a half knots. We had the sails spilled for the most part. Um, and again, we were heading, I'm going to say we had a south, southeast kind of wind, and we were heading southwest. And if we had continued on the tack we were on, we would have ended up in the uh, north shore of Massachusetts. And uh, not exactly where I wanted to be, and I probably would have uh, uh, jived before that, before we ever got there. Um, and uh, we were, oh, I'm going to say before the mast let loose. The mast broke that uh, Wednesday or Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, early evening Wednesdays when the mast snapped. And by the mast snapping, you mean the, uh, the portion above the gaff on the foremast? Yes. The gaff, exactly. um, if you picture a traditional schooner sail, uh, a trapezoid holds up the top uh, back peak of it as a long pole, and, of course, usually the mast itself continues above uh, where the gaff uh, leaves to hold up the back of the sail, so the top of the foremast. About four feet of the foremast is Well, and, and let's... Just a second, if, and, and that's not, uh, strictly speaking, uh, you know, that's not the part that's holding up the sail, but it is the part that's holding up the other mast because there's a stay that goes over the top of all those masts. And is there rigging attached to the part that just broke? Yes. Yes. And the rigging came down. So if that mast is broken, it also, it also means that the other masts are not properly supported at the present time. So. Right. So we proceeded the lower sail yep. and deployed the sea anchor, uh, which deployed just beautifully. We had no trouble deploying the sea anchor and uh, getting the other sails down. Um, and... Uh, it, it, you know, people want to report. There's a lot of bad reporting. I mean, it's like, and again, in my opinion, Alan, it's like you saying we can't sail into the wind and you've never been on board the ship. You don't know that. People that are reporting that we weren't in 20-foot seas. It seems like everybody that was on board, all six people, um, it said the seas were 20 feet or bigger. Well, you can look at the buoys on Matinicus Rock and say, yes, they're only 11 feet. And you can, you can conclude that the seas, perhaps, at Matinicus Rock were 11 feet. But you can't conclude anything that was going on on board Rob Bates at that time. We had experienced sailors on board, we had, and everybody. The, 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 one of the crew hands says the seas are just towering over us. Well, let me see. The deck is eight feet off the water on the main deck, so if a six-foot person standing on deck, you're going to be, what, 14 feet? Uh, and you're looking up at them? That doesn't sound like 10, 11-foot waves to me. Uh, and and I'm, I had no scientific ev evidence of measuring these waves. Uh, but, but the people that were on board said they were, we, we estimated, I guess, we came to a conclusion that we thought they were at least 20 feet. Many people on board thought they were well over that, 30 and 40 footers all the time. But w we, we are, said they would take 20. Waves are notoriously hard to uh, peg the size of. I checked out the uh, Cash's Ledge sea buoy, which is uh, uh, very close to where you were. They reported, uh, in general, winds in the 20s, uh, Wednesday and Thursday gusting into the 30s. Peaks into, into the low 40s, and uh, basically a 12 to 14-foot sea running is what they said. And the Coast Guard well, pretty we, much agreed with that. And that's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what it was, so that, you know, you can call it anything you want. And I don't really think that part of it matters all that much. The point is uh, it, that things broke. 
it, it doesn't matter that much to me either, and because it's, this is not a story or a discussion about uh, whether there were 20-foot seas or 14-foot seas. It's, it's really not. We, we think there was 20-foot seas. I've been next to these buoys, as they reported, like I say, in, in the doldrums with no wind, and they're reporting 10, 15 knots of wind. I'm like, there ain't no wind on that buoy. There ain't no way it's reporting accurately. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how often they're PM. I don't know how often anything is. It doesn't really matter to me. I know what was going on on the ship while we were there, and the other rest of the crew knows what was going on. So if we have six people on the crew that's saying, these are 20-foot or bigger waves, does that make them 20 feet? Maybe they're only 14, but they were towering over us. And on the aft castle, we're 16 feet. The, the railings are 16 feet off the, off the water, and you're standing on deck, so, and, the, and the seas are towering over you. You're looking up at them. You know, that's all. Well, and the seas so people can conclude from that what they want. Certainly added to your uh, predicament, um, they always do. But anyway, it's uh, the point is that things were breaking, so it doesn't really well, matter. They, Again, they how big broke. they were, they were right, just the mast had broke, and the masts were undersized. We knew that there were donated trees from a local island, and part of the idea was to get to Florida and replace the mast, where we'd be able to undertake better fundraising to be able to raise the money to be able to replace the mast. We knew the masts were undersized before we even set off. We also knew that the, uh, the risk would be the mast would break at the top, and we had all the tools, equipment, and talent necessary to put a top mast on and therefore fix the rigging and continue sailing. There was nothing that was out of the control of the crew and, and, the, and what was on board. So it didn't seem to, the, to us at that time that it was a critical situation. There was nobody nervous, nobody upset. Unlike your story where you reported people were upset, we're in these towering seas, and there was nobody even nervous about it. Nobody was upset. Nobody was talking threatening words or any other such thing. Um, rough eight, the worst rough eight healed over was 25 degrees, and, and uh, typically 15. Um, she would heal over 15, come back to 5, and then to 0. She settled down that quickly. And, and we never took water over the bow or the railings. Or the gunnels, I should say, not the railings, but the gunnels. We had, I, I witnessed, personally witnessed spray twice and the whole time I was on the deck. We had a wave that uh, created a splash with a little spray in the wind, uh, very little spray that came up on deck. A dry Mike's boat is a wonderful thing. My my uh, neighbor used to have a little outboard, and he always used to say, what a great boat, and I'd say, if it didn't throw buckets of water at you all the time, it'd be even better. So, yeah, dry boat's a wonderful thing. Now, you uh, lost your push boat in there some sometime in this. You had it on davits behind the uh, transom, did you? Well, we, we had it on davits. We raised it up on davits. It was sitting about six feet out of the water, and um, it chafed through the strap during the night. The transom went down. We saved the boat. Uh, a little bit of water went inside, sent a crew hand down, bailed it out, came back up, had it on a fairly tight tow behind us. Um, again, I don't know what the buoys are saying. We saw what, what the crew said. The minimally, we estimated, was a 60-foot wave. It took us, and again, the crew talking about it afterwards, how big was that wave? And we estimated it took us five seconds for Roth 8 to climb the face of that wave. And she's, you know, 88 feet on deck. Five seconds to go up the face of that wave. When we went up the face... She started going down the other side. The transom lifted up the, the uh, push boat, so she was hanging like a lure, you know, on our fishing pole, just dangling there. And when we came down, she went down under, transom first. Um, so with that boat being towed behind us, underneath, I cut her loose. I figured that was a dangerous situation to have because I didn't want it banging into the hull. So we cut that boat loose. We had another boat on deck, uh, as well as a life raft on board. So it was not... 
again, like a situation where we were uh, boatless or, or without any other means. Okay, so now it's it's uh, probably getting dark, as it always is when these things are going on, and uh, you are deploying a sea anchor, and you uh, uh, go on the radio and make a, uh, forget if it's a pan-pan or a security call, basically to say, here I am, and this is what's happening, right? Exactly. It was, I'm going to say, uh, 11.30, or thereabouts at night, we made our first call. Um, we got the sea anchor deployed, we had the, all the sails down, had the uh, riding sail up, and uh, we got on the radio and said uh, on Channel 16, hailing all vessels. This is sailing vessel Rob Pace. We, we're uh, hove to on a sea anchor at the following coordinates, and we gave the coordinates. The Coast Guard answered that hail and asked if we were in distress. My reply, no, we are not in distress. Do you need our assistance? No, we do not need your assistance. We are hove to, waiting for the seas to come, and uh, then we'll commence some repairs. We were we gave that broadcast every half hour, or at least that's what the directions the sea anchor advised us to do. And so a uh, half hour goes by, we make the, a similar hail. Coast Guard comes back on and asks if we needed their assistance. And again, I said, no, we don't need your assistance. We're hove to. Um, I then uh, reviewed the weather again, and I went back to the crew, and I said, look, we're going to be hove to here for a week, you know, with the, with the forecast later. These seas aren't going to calm down for a week, maybe longer. Um, on the third hail, the Coast Guard uh, uh, asked again if we were all right, and we said, yes, we're doing fine, uh, but here's the status of things. We have lost two of the nav lights. Uh, we lost our push boat uh, um, and the rudder had, uh, had, uh, had, had broke. And so the Coast Guard deemed that we were a hazard to navigation and that they were going to send a cutter out to tow us. I got, I got back on the, uh, with the crew and said, we can accept their tow, or we can hove to here for a week or longer. And we said, well, let's just uh, let, let's get a tow and do the repairs back in the, in the safe harbor. And so uh, the Coast Guard came out. We're hove to on the sea anchor, and they wanted me to cut loose the sea anchor. I said, oh, well, let me back up. They said, they asked me if I was taking on water. And I said, well, we're taking on a little bit of water. Um, nothing certainly alarming. I, I, I might have turned the bilge pumps on for an hour every, uh, uh, I'm going to say turn them on for, three or four minutes once an hour. It didn't seem alarming at all. And they said, well, do you mind if we bring on one of our pumps? It's not at all, you know, because they, in case the situation gets worse, they wanted to have a safety pump on board, a big diesel pump. And I said, sure, go ahead. And so they bring this big pump on, drop the hose down inside, uh, and tried to uh, get some uh, suction. We couldn't, there wasn't enough water in the bilge for that four-inch hose to, to get a suction. And so they, they asked me at that time if I'd mind shutting off, you know, not running my bilge pump so that uh, we can take on enough water to prime their pump and make sure it works. And I said, okay, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. And so we took on more water, uh, enough so their pump should have been working properly. We tried it. It really didn't work real well, but kind of worked, sort of, and they decided that they were going to go over the cutter and have Thanksgiving, and they left my son Rob and I on, on Roth 8, trained us on the pump, a couple hours go by, we've taken on more water. I try to pump again. It's not working right, and I've got plenty of water in the bilge now. They're still saying there is not enough water in the bilge. That's why it's not having a suction. I'm telling them I'm standing on the hose. It, it's never exposed. It's not working right. Send somebody over here. So they send two guys over. One guy's supposed to be a pump expert, and the other guy's an electrician. The uh, pump expert guy gets on board. Within five minutes, he's seasick. And if anybody's been seasick, I'm sure they know you're not real functional once you're seasick. 
So after about 10 minutes of trying to start the pump, he couldn't even get the pump started. My son helps him, finally gets the pump started, and it's not working right. Well, he's, he's getting sicker. I hail the Coast Guard cutter and say, you know, this guy needs to be replaced and, uh, because he's dysfunctional. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so they tell me they're going to replace him, and, uh, and I get an ETA of the replacement for in about an hour. Okay. So uh, uh, he gets on the radio with him and says something about what's going on with the pump, and I didn't understand what he was talking about. Uh, by now we're taking on more water, and I, uh, uh, the water is up around. I had my batteries down low, which uh, uh, I probably should have had them up higher. And uh, to prevent the water from sloshing on top of the batteries, I disconnect at that time. The uh, radio, the batteries, and we disconnected the radio. Well, I had two handhelds on board, so I wasn't worried. And the cutter's sitting right there beside me. So it's not like I was ever in lack of uh, contact with the Coast Guard or any other thing. Um, so I take the batteries out at that point because, again, I didn't want the batteries to go bad because of the water that is now sloshing around in the bilge. And so I removed the batteries and... Uh, 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 under the assurance they're going to have this other guy, uh, uh, they're going to send a replacement crew over to try to figure out what's going on with this other pump. So I, I knock down for a couple hours, and uh, I get back up at 3 in the morning, and now I've got a significant amount of water in the bilge, and the two Coast Guard guys are asleep. So I'm like, well, what's going on with that? Um, and, and I wake the guy up and says, you know, we, we need to get where's the replacement guys. They need to be here because we've got a lot of water in the bilge. So I asked them to get the cutter on the radio, and, and I'm talking to the captain over there, and I said, you know, we need re a replacement crew over here uh, to figure out how to run this pump and get what's going on. Um, again, they said about an hour, 4 a.m., they sent a crew over uh, with another pump. When we took the hose off the pump, it was clogged on the input. And so, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that it couldn't have a suction. I'm taking on all this water because i got a crew hand on board who can't diagnose a clogged pump. You know, that's what, that's what was going on. It, this had nothing to do with, with, with Rob Bates' haul or, or, uh, or other things that were happening. This, this strictly had to do with, the uh, at this point, at the competency level of the crew that was, that was here. Can we back up just a minute here, George? Um, when you made your uh, radio call um, and brought yourself to the attention of the Coast Guard, um, it just occurs to me whether or not you think you're in uh, or, you know, say, no, I need no assistance, you have become a vessel of concern to them. You've become um, a definite object of concern. And their actions after that, uh, pretty much no matter what you think, are, are kind of predictable in a way. Um, I've been criticized sometimes for not using the radio enough. I tend to mind my own business um, until, uh, you know, you really have to talk to somebody. We, and on sailboats, the, uh, you're outside and the radio is downstairs anyway, so it doesn't, doesn't promote... Uh, chatting back and forth, but again, I'm, I'm just saying that when you made that call, uh, it was fairly much, to my mind, inevitable that the Coast Guard was going to come out there and muckle on to you. Well, that, that, that may be true, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the Coast Guard, because they are rescuers. Well, you can't. They pulled you in. You know? In fact, I think and, you got to uh, say good things. Well, <laughs> as a matter of fact, what happened when they came out, um, they assured me that they would uh, retrieve my sea anchor because they, they wanted me to cut it loose. And I'm not cutting loose my sea anchor. A, that's my anchor line I'm hooked to. And B, that I can't replace that sea anchor. So I'm not letting loose unless you tell me you're going to retrieve my sea anchor. Otherwise, I'm not letting loose. I'm just going to hold two right here. And they agreed they'd go get it. So I let loose, and they got the line and cut loose the sea anchor and let it go. So that was kind of unfortunate. I'll take that on the chin. 
uh, you can bet the next time I'm in a situation that uh, I won't let loose of it. I won't count on them to go get it, uh, and I'll have to get it on my own if necessary. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, we're towed in. Uh, we never took any water over the deck. Rough Bait handled extremely well. We were able to sail into the wind. And uh, uh, when people want to say that we couldn't, I would defy them and say, come look at the graphs. Come look at the charts. I have it all on computerized charts. The whole track that we made was followed on the computer chart. You can easily see what the wind was doing at that time. You can see the track we were on. It doesn't lie. People want to sit here without knowing, without talking to me, and, and making these comments and statements without even ever calling or talking to me about how it went. I can't sit here and lie and say, oh, we sailed into the wind when we got a southerly wind, and you look at the track and say, we didn't make any progress. Look at it. We did. In fact, you know, the, science, the science to uh, figure out uh, how far she will go to windward is, is uh, right in the GPS. And, and uh, There's two things with the boat. You say, uh, this is the course we want to go, 180 degrees straight south. And uh, if you look at your GPS, it'll tell you uh, also your course over the ground, which is your actual path over the... Exactly. Yeah, which is usually different from the one that you're meaning to go on and has to do with exactly. leeway and drift and all that. George, we got somebody on the, on the telephone here, and, and uh, I guess I'm uh, disposed to see who it is and ask them what they think. Oh, yep. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think... <laughs> who, is, who is speaking to? Oh, oh, my name is Brenda Walker, and I own the schooner Isaac Evans here in Rockland. Brenda, you've been a guest on Boat Talk as I well. I have. It's good to talk with you. We know you. <laughs> and we went upside your rail off Stonington uh, last fall, too, and said hello. Yep, definitely. Alan and I just happened to be cruising by. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've only heard part of what George has been saying this, uh, this morning. And, of course, I've been following the story pretty closely um, because I have sailed on raw faith. And... I'm finding that George um, seems to be—excuse me—seems to be fairly angry. Um, he enjoys calling people names, telling them that they don't know what they're talking about. Um, when I think my—it's my opinion that he is the one that doesn't know what he's talking about. I think the most important thing that George just said was the next time this happens. Um, he was talking about the sea anchor and the coast guard and how they cut it free, and he'll take that on the chin. But I think any time this boat gets underway, and I have sailed on raw faith, unless there's huge changes both in his experience and in the boat, the coast guard will be chasing this boat every time it gets underway. And um, I have lots of reasons to say that. Uh, the boat does not sail to the wind. I was on board. We were underway. She drifts. I could put a sail on my paint float, and <laughs> and um, they would basically be on the same course. Now, let's back up again, Brenda. You and a couple of other uh, schooner experienced people went out uh, for sail on raw faith. And, you know, we put the and word out to a lot of people, and no one was willing to go on board. And it, at first, um, being invited to do this, I said, there's no way you're going to get me on that boat anywhere away from a dock or an anchor. It is... It was just, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> and you wrote a, a uh, account to that, uh, to a letter that was posted on uh, villagesoup.com, which I read. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, to put it, uh, you would say that it was a bit of a Chinese fire drill uh, getting out of the harbor there, I guess Absolutely. you would say. And, yeah, we were um, scheduled to be underway between 10 and noon, uh, and we didn't even leave until afternoon because they were trying to fix some problem with the, with the rudder. And when she was sitting at the dock in Rockland, it was obvious to anybody walking by, well, you know, it was fairly obvious to me and most of the people I spoke to that 
the way the rudder was set up, um, it was just not, it was doomed to failure. There was some, uh, there's some cable running through some blocks that are kind of like in little eye bolts in the, in the hull, and the, the, the lead of those blocks, the, the cable was cutting right through the sides of them. So anyway, they were they were trying to. You're going to let me speak to any of this? Oh, absolutely, George. I mean, I. You think, Brenda? First of all, all of those blocks and everything was replaced before we left. We knew those were issues, and we replaced them all. So you don't even know what the rudder setup was when we went out sailing, okay? And I don't want you you to to speak to that without talking to me. With me, I I think it's important that people understand. You got to let me speak, Brenda. No, I think I would like you've you've spoken for uh, 48 minutes now, and I think it's important that people hear the real story about Brenda, this vessel, this get, very listen, dangerous vessel. Mike, if you're not going to get her to shut up so I can at least talk a little, too, Again, then, you know, there's no, there's no communication here. A very First angry all, man when, who said when we went a out Christian sailing, that's telling me to shut up. <laughs> when, when we went out sailing, you guys didn't have a clue how to trim the sails. You had them trimmed so tight to the mast, uh, so tight that, that there was no way she was ever going to sail to the, the windward. Right, that's she the cannot same exact sail. Problem, Rob, that, listen to me, that's the same exact problem Rob and I made the first time we went out sailing. And that's not the way you need to trim the sails. Maybe you know how to sail a schooner. I don't know. I've never been with you sailing. I know but you don't know how to sail raw bait. Before, George. I know you don't know how to sail raw bait because when you came out, you didn't have the sails trimmed properly. We were it's the first people to equation. attack that vessel. It's a pretty simple <laughs> equation to look at the GPS, look at the compass, and look at our track for what we're doing and determine how we're doing. There were six people on board the ship when we were out sailing, and the experienced sailors who said, yes, we're sailing... 60 degrees off the wind, Brenda. You right. couldn't do it, and so you're upset and hurt over that. I am because not. Because you didn't know how to sail raw bait. George, the we were line. the first people to tack that vessel. You had never tacked it before. We had to explain to you. Oh, I have. Yes, you. I have tacked it. No. Yes, I did tack it, Brenda. Well, that's, that that's morning a lie. You don't that know you that. Not. Again, I don't want to argue with you on the radio. It, hold on. Make the... people aware of your inexperience and how dangerous this vessel is. My no turn. amount of money is going to make this vessel handicapped accessible and safe. My turn. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think this uh, illustrates, uh, I would frankly say there's a couple problems going on here. One's a boat problem. The other uh, could very well be a people problem. Absolutely. And I think this, uh, so I am, I'm fairly distressed by the tone of the whole thing, to tell you the truth. And here's where I come down on the whole thing. Um, any boat uh, can be made to sail. Uh, as you say, your paint float will sail. Right. Um, how, and I'm, I'm quoting uh, uh, Patrick O'Brien now through Jack o- uh, Captain Jack Aubrey, how unweatherly a tub may or may not be depends on a lot of factors, and there's always things that can be done to improve that, whether it's balance, whether it's more uh, oh, uh, center of lateral resistance, whether it's a different rig. There's always things that can be done. And then you also have to have the experience to know the everything that your, your vessel may possibly want to do to you. And... Uh, George needs that experience, and that boat is uh, not going to go away. It's got to be uh, put back together. George has to learn how to sail it, and what I recommend is that he spends the winter and and the spring getting it into sailable shape, and then the rest of the time uh, through till the end of next summer, sailing it around the coast of Maine and learning the ins and outs of that thing, going to school on it big time. And then if you want to go south next, next August or so, there will be the graduation test, and then you can think about the mission. That's the way I look at it and wonder how we're going to get there. And, and I find uh, name-calling and all that other kind of stuff terribly unfortunate. And well, uh, it, it different is. people have said there's not egos involved, but of course there is. So, uh, you know, how are we going to do this, folks? 
It's un- I absolutely intend to do that. It's unfortunate that Brenda wants to get on and say this ship will never be made saleable. I have a marine architect who says it can, but she doesn't know. She, is she a marine architect? I talked to Ed about this whole trip with these, with these captains that came on board and said, I'm looking for constructive, positive feedback. Did I get any? No, nothing. And I said, I'm not interested in being shot down and, and, and all that. We need to talk about positive, constructive feedback. Okay, Did George. I ever get any? George, we, we do have another phone call. Let's try to, before the uh, top of the hour to get this second phone call in. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, hi, this is Gray in Hancock. Hi, Gray. Um, I personally haven't, haven't seen Raw Faith, and I can't say I have experience there. Uh, but I have a cousin who's been involved for the last uh, 30 years or so in, uh, in uh, ocean-going marine salvage. He's, uh, you know, he gets uh, freighters out of Kuwait and stuff like Harbor and stuff like that. He uh, he was cruising down down east this summer, and he he saw raw faith. When I mentioned it to him, he 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 got really upset. He said, "This is this is just a potential navigational hazard in the making." And he spends his he risks his life all the time to remove navigational hazards. And I can understand him being irritated. I also understand the uh, the spirit of adventure and individualism and wanting to do, to do your own thing and maybe do it a little different way. But you know it's. It's like you got a you got a busy airspace around an airport. You don't want a guy with a bunch of hydrogen balloons in a lawn chair floating around there. And that I kind of think that's the, what the situation we got here. We have a vessel that is, at the best you can say about it, it's on the steep end of the learning curve as far as becoming seaworthy. And I can understand people not wanting that floating around in the sea lanes where the weather is bad and. Even freighters can't see little stuff, and so that's all I got to say. And I wish George the best of luck. There's no personal animosity or anything. It's just that um, the, the boat has got to really be be seaworthy, and it's, it's got to be surveillable and and really really come up to standard because we got too much too much sea traffic and stuff to right. to have have. Um, Thank, thank you, A lot great. of navigational hazards. Anyway, that's all. Great show. Great. Thank you, Greg. Bye-bye. And we do have another phone call. Let's quickly go to that one, too. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. Very tough to get through uh-huh. this morning. Yes. Very uh, busy A couple day. of quick items uh, here. Uh, number one, if you want to check your boat's vessel progress to windward, your vessel's progress to windward, you get her hard on the wind on the port tack, uh, so she's footing but pointing. Look at your compass. You're steering 170. You tack her over. You put her on the starboard tack. You trim her up and get her moving on that. You're steering 270. You've tacked to 100 degrees. Your vessel sails 50 degrees off the wind. That's, you don't need any electronics. You don't need any fancy calculations. Just half the angle. Half the angle. Number two, I, I, it is my belief, and I, I, I will stand corrected on this, but it's my understanding that when the Coast Guard reports wave heights, they're, they're uh, reporting the mean height <coughs> from from the mean sea level. So, so if, you, if they're telling you you've got 11-foot seas, then what you, that's 11-foot from the mean height to the top of the crest or to the bottom of the swell. So an 11-foot sea is actually a 22-foot swell. That's my understanding. Um, so when you're in the bottom of your, you know, in, down in the trough of the wave, uh, in an 11-foot sea, yes, from the bottom of the trough to the top of the crest is actually 22 feet. Um, like I said, I'll, if someone has a correction for that, but that's always been my understanding. That's how the Coast Guard reports it. All right. Um, lastly, I'd like to say that George, there's a dichotomy here between what he claims, that he doesn't, didn't need the help of the Coast Guard, that he was perfectly fine and uh, there were no problems, and then his sort of 
is vilification of their uh, their bad performance, their their inconsistencies, and um, I, um, having spent quite a bit of time in the North Atlantic, which I think is one of the most unforgiving bodies of water in the world, um, just his 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 statement that he's going to go out at this time of year with undersized spars and get to somewhere warm and comfortable and replace them shows a, a disdain and disregard for. Um, a very, very dangerous body of water. If, if you read any, read a couple of stories. George needs to read a couple of stories about destroyers in World War II that ran across this ocean, escorting uh, well, escorting I think, freighters. I don't think that's his plan to go out in the middle of the ocean. I think he'd like to stay pretty coastal, but still. Well, yeah, but of course, coastal is where the worst things are. That's remember, where the seas really the, build up. How about the advice I gave to the fellow from Louisville, Kentucky, fitting out a school bus to sail around the world? I said that's a nice plan on a nice day. How about take it out in the Gulf of Maine in November or December when it's really ugly? Hire a couple fishermen to babysit you and see if you like it. And if you do, have at it. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Mike, we have run out of time. I'd like to get a response from George. We'll have to just, uh, I think, bail this over till, uh, till next next month. What do you think? Uh, you still there, George? Again, I guess it comes down to the fact that things were breaking, so obviously you weren't ready to go, and it was a bad time. And... Um, you know, I guess it's fairly predictable now. Is that the end of things? Now, what would you do after you've worked on this all this time? Just say, wow, that didn't work out how we thought. It was kind of crazy out there. Let's uh, let's sink the boat and walk away. Well, I don't see that happening. So um, that wouldn't, that's not, no proper response anyway for anybody doing anything. So it's, uh, it's going to go on. And how are we going to... How are we going to do it successfully is... is uh, how is George going to do that successfully is, I guess, going to be the trick. Raw Faith sank in 2010. That's it for Boat Talk for this month. With luck, we'll be back live in the studio soon. Thanks for supporting WERU.